Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Revival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy, and it's job hunting season, at least when we're recording this. And depending on the time of year that you're listening to this, it may or may not be. But this is really the opportunity to look at all of the steps of what it takes to go and get a job in this field. Get a job. I will save you guys the trouble of hearing me sing. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good time to talk about jobs because oftentimes around this time of year, there's job fairs, there's finishing out school and, and thinking about your first job after school. If you're an employer, it's time to think about, you know, hiring folks because we're going into a really good training period, which is the summer when there's not as many clients usually. So yeah, this is a great time to be talking about it and preparing people so they can be ready when it's time for them to get their first or second or third job. (laughs) So where do people find jobs? Depending on the point in your career, this might be if you're in practicum setting, your school might have different approved practicum sites that are there. But once you graduate in Los Angeles area, there's a lot of different options that I've seen things advertised on Craigslist. I've seen things on job hunting sites like Indeed or some of those different things. But what kind of tips do you have as far as people finding the the right openings for them? Well, I think it depends on the type of position they're looking for. So if they're looking for an agency job, community mental health, public mental health, whatever you want to call it, I think Indeed is a really good source. I also tell folks that when you're thinking about working with a specific population, one of the things that you can do is Google services as though you were that type of client. And you can look in location, you can find the different types of agencies that serve that population. And then you can look to see if they have uh, jobs available. I think the big piece is oftentimes agencies, especially, will either be more up to date on their websites or more up to date on Indeed. But you, you know, you want to make sure that you get as many of the jobs, like get access to the job postings so that you can find them. For private practice, I mean, this is something where I think you and I disagree, Kurt, but I think I don't recommend that folks immediately go into private practice. I think having more structure in an agency setting is is good. But if folks are wanting to look in private practice, I think networking and going to local professional organization meetings, being able to look on the professional websites and listservs to see if there's anybody posting that, that's that's another way that you can look for a job. You're right. We do disagree on this. And my suggestion <laughs> is that we 
do go if if private practice is what your ultimate goal is that the longer that you spend in private practice the more likely you are to be successful in it and to have your name out in the community and my suggestion is if you can get hired early on as soon as you get your pre-license registration if you can have a supervisor hire you and have somebody else pay for your rent and pay for your marketing materials and give you the opportunity to grow while a lot of the overhead can be covered by somebody else. It's good business practice in order to stay in that arena as long as you can. Now, you might not get all of your pre-licensed experience in that yeah. setting. but Yeah, I think that's a big piece. <laughs> or at least setting yourself up to when you do get licensed and are able to practice independently, that you're getting a lot of that legwork out of the way before you're even licensed. I think that's good for folks who know who they would want to work with. I think if you've become a therapist because you want to help people, but you don't have a specific passion for a specific population, then I think being able to to have a varied experience in your jobs while you're getting your hours is better so that you can try things out, get some different training, making sure that you're looking at that because the structure that is typically in place in agencies and, and other types of nonprofits it's much more consistent than a private practice office. That, as you know, because you do the training on this, Kurt, you know, private practice supervisors, there's, at least for now, there's not as much oversight and it can be really mixed bag. You can have an amazing supervisor who teaches you well to get clients and to have good clinical skill. And you have can have someone that maybe throws one or two clients your way and, and kind of leaves you hanging in the, you know, flapping in the wind. And, you know, you can end up running out of time to get your hours because you've, you're working so slowly towards them because you don't have that 30 to 40 hours that you're accruing per week like you do in an agency. So I think you really want to weigh the pros and cons of the type of position that you're looking for, especially early in your career based on your experience, your, as far as like being a business owner or being an employee, as well as how much you already know about who you want to work with. This is where if you're going into private practice, then you need to approach it as a business first. And if you're in Mm -hmm. that space where you haven't developed a plan to create a business, a business plan, which we'll get into a lot more detail on how to do something like that in another episode. But you need to prepare yourself to have a business plan and something to follow through on. So get clear on what you're trying to do and set it up as a business. Don't put yourself in that space because you're setting yourself up to fail unless you do have kind of a target that you want to reach to and to really hone what your message is going to be. For sure. I think if that's what you're ready to do, go for it and do it well. I think if that sounds overwhelming, going and getting a job at an agency probably is is the best bet for you. If you want to really just take the time to learn some clinical skills and hustle really fast, <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, that's what you get at an agency. So I think the next thing we probably should talk about is we've talked about kind of where to look for jobs, how to, you know, what types of jobs there are. But I think even before that, I think it's important that you prepare pretty thoughtfully about how you want to present yourself as you're entering the job market. And it could be entering the job market practicum site or your first post-grad position. It can also be if you're re-entering the market after being in private practice for a while, you want to go work for someone else, or you've been at an agency for a long time and now you're looking to advance. 
at any point when you're going to be on the job market, you really want to make sure you've taken a look at your social media presence. You need to Google yourself, see what's there, make sure that you've got an, a, a professional appearance. And I think you need to make sure that you have an up-to-date, clear LinkedIn profile because oftentimes employers look. And so you want to make sure that you look professional. For sure. In fact, I've passed over hiring people before because as I was advancing through the interview process, I decided to Google the candidates that were still available. And one particular candidate, her Facebook profile picture was her in a bikini. And Mm. in my setting, and at least the way that I work with people with business is that if you aren't able to really look ahead and look at how people might be able to see you, then that's the kind of stuff, especially in a, in a private practice setting, that you're going to want to be aware of because people do look. And yeah. the more that you can put out there about yourself professionally, LinkedIn's got great SEO and is able to score very high in Google search results. But the more that you can put out about yourself professionally, whether it's even volunteer work that identifies you as a therapist, puts you in the best position to really look good to potential employers. Especially, you know, in the setting that you hire in, Kurt, you know, when you're looking at private practice, there are times when even as a pre-licensed person or someone that's in school and and has a very strong focus, an area of focus that they want to specialize in, I think it's something where you can blog or write articles on LinkedIn, or you can share articles, you know, kind of cultivate content from other folks and start creating an online brand in some ways. Not that that's required necessarily, but I think that can be something that's really strong as you're entering the workforce. If you have a very clear idea of who you want to work with, who you want to work for, that you've created that online presence that shows that you're the no-brainer for being hired and for clients. And then The next step of this is really preparing your reach out to these potential work sites. Mm -hmm. If it's a private practice or if it's an agency, but you want your cover letter and even your initial phone call or initial email to start to send the message that you've done your homework on them, that there's something about the populations that they're serving or about personal factor that really resonates with you, either about an agency or about working with a supervisor in order to start to kind of grease the wheels as far as making it to where you are starting off on the same foot? I agree to a certain extent. I know as a hiring manager in an agency, I did not really read cover letters. That wasn't part of my process. I had to have them. And if there was something weird on their resume, I would look at the cover letter. But if people start stressing out about their cover letters, I want to give them full permission not to stress out too much. (laughs) I mean, I think the more that you can be thoughtful about your application, and you certainly need to have the story that you're going to tell when you get into an interview. But the most important piece is making sure that your resume really shows how you line up with the position. And depending on how sought after the position is that you're looking for, you want to network in. And so the phone call that you mentioned, that's part of it. One of, Another thing could be another colleague who works there already, networking in person at a professional organizational meeting. Like It's just finding that way that you can have that personal touch is much stronger 
But I've certainly hired people at agencies, especially that I've never met them, didn't read their cover letter, but their resume was sharp. And it was part of that process that really is important. So I think depending on the type of position and how sought after it is, you have slightly different areas of focus and don't mess up the cover letter. Like you don't want to have a stupid cover letter that has weird stuff in it. You want it to be professional and and say good things. But a lot of people don't read cover letters. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. And speaking of the resume portion of it too, depending on the length of your work history, then you might be pulling in jobs that are unrelated, but you're going to want to put skills in there that are relevant to the types of environment that you're going to be working in. For sure. I remember one of your stories about a person who had worked at like a Kmart or something. Yeah, yeah. He was a manager at a Kmart and I absolutely thought he was one of my best hires. I probably should tell him because I, you know, I bring him up a lot, but other people may not have looked at this candidate, but they're like, well, he doesn't have mental health experience. And I was like, well, but if you're working with as a manager at Kmart, you're managing all the people. So there's a lot of relationship stuff schedules and time off and employees that are doing well and employees that are doing not so well, but you also get all the customer complaints. So being able to navigate that type of interaction, even though this was a, a green uh, mental health provider, I felt like he would be well suited. Now I'm, I'm unique though. I actually don't know that a lot of people look at it that way. So I always talk to people when I'm looking at their resumes, if they have these other types of jobs or they're having a career change, do the crosswalk. You know, and that's when I would recommend having some more in the cover letter is is explain how what you did before relates to the work you will be doing as a therapist. And as a therapist, especially a new therapist, you will be an employee. So show how you're a good employee in your resume and that those skills are across different types of jobs. But then also have the story about why you're switching or what led to that switch. So it makes sense. There's not this big question mark. You don't want to have huge gaps in your resume or huge career shifts without talking through why you're doing it or or how that came about to a certain extent. I mean, you can have boundaries. You don't have to share all the gory details, but having some story that can really pull things together and really you know, connect the dots for potential employers on why you would be a good fit for the position. And speaking of resumes, this is something where all of the positions and all of the work that you might be doing throughout your career ends up on those resumes. And this is something where I will give in to Katie a little bit here, but <laughs> getting a broader background of experiences can set you up for jobs, especially if you're going to work in the private practice market for a while and you are going back to look for 
agency jobs is that agencies are going to want to see agency experience. Yes. If you're one of those people who are able to be extremely successful in private practice and able to follow through on a business plan and get all your wildest hopes and dreams come true, (laughs) then it's not really an issue and you can focus on spending money or on trainings or certifications or that kind of stuff. But this is where if you're not going with the private practice business plan model, you still need to have an idea of a direction that you want to go that's going to put you in a better position to even work within a population. You might bounce around from a couple of agencies early on to get a sense for what kind of clients that you do want to see, but to stay relevant to a certain population so that way your experience continues to build on itself. I think thematic experience is probably stronger, especially if you're going to stay within that population. I think that can be strong. I do believe that interns, associates, trainees, when you're a new therapist, if you really don't know who you want to work with, I think as long as you're able to connect it with a story about your interest, about the growth that you and the training that you've received, I think that stuff can be very helpful. So I I don't agree that it needs to be thematic. I think it can be stronger if you know for sure you want to stay in that theme. But I've had people who are working with kids for a long time and want to switch to adults. And what you the way that you do that is talking about how in working with kids, you recognize that you really wanted to support the parents. And and as you were working with the parents, you realized that there was a lot there that was of interest. And so now you're shifting to working with adults or vice versa. I was working with adults and I recognized that so much happened when they were kids and I wanted to have an, an impact earlier in their lives. I think that if as long as you have the story, I think you can jump around if you don't know what you want to do when you're first going back to school. If you know, great, thematic. But if you don't know, I think for me, I, I worked with boys on probation. I worked with kids in uh, foster care that were much younger. I worked with CalWORKs participants, which is the, the welfare to work program in California. I worked with families. I worked with individuals. Like I got a lot of training in a lot of different things. And my thematics were really based around community mental health, poverty, the, tr- the trauma, the community violence. A lot of that stuff was pulled in there. And I, and I did have an opportunity to learn some substance abuse treatment. And I did have a, so it was, it was gathering the things I needed to be able to treat the clients who I treat now. And I feel like all of that experience was more like, ooh, that sounds like an interesting job. Let me try that one out. And so it's good to be thoughtful, but I don't think you need to be totally thematic in order to be successful. Getting back to the resumes, there's a couple of things that annoy me, I guess, (laughs) when I'm looking at people's resumes. And one of them is people trying to cram everything down into one sheet of a resume. I hate that. And I think that it's been quite a while that two pages is really accepted now. And even for places where you're going to be applying with a CV instead, that sometimes it'll even extend into three or maybe even four pages. And really, I see a lot of the difference between a resume and a CV is putting more specifics about like trainings that you've attended or these kinds of things. I think that the difference I see with a CV and a resume is that the CV seems more uh, education focused and the trainings, like you talked about both the trainings that you've attended as well as any scholarly works you've done, any publications, that kind of stuff. It just feels very different. I think for a typical resume for a job that a newer therapist is looking for, if you don't have a lot of experience, and I, I want to define what that 
experience should look like. But if you don't have a lot of experience, look, make it look like you tried to cram it into one page, but don't overstuff it. Just, you know, make it fit to a page. But if you have a decent amount of experience, don't go more than two pages as a newer clinician, keep it to two pages, but but make sure that there's that it's really easy to read. Most people who review resumes, whether it's HR, which they take about six seconds probably, and then hiring manager, managers take up to maybe 17 seconds. So it needs to be really clear bullet points, short sentences, a summary at the top to tell the person how that you fit into the position. It needs to be very concise regardless. So you may end up with one page, but you don't need to be one page. And certainly don't shrink the type to be one page. Don't omit things to be one page. Make sure you've got the the stuff there that needs it. And the, the most important stuff is right at the top in a summary. The other thing that bothers me about resumes is when people tack on that line at the bottom about references available upon <laughs> request. Really, for a lot of the types of settings that are available in the mental health field, you're going to have to provide references. Yeah, that's a so waste of save space. Yourself. <laughs> It's a waste of space. It's a little bit kind of, it seemed to be in fashion maybe like 20 or so years ago. But speaking of references, as a hiring person, I don't really call a lot of them either because I assume that a lot of people who are looking for a job are going to be able to find at least a couple of people who will say nice things about them. Now, the exception to that is if it's a direct supervisor or somebody who's had that supervisory experience over somebody before, I'll definitely put some stock in that. But largely outside of that, I assume that most people who are applying for jobs are going to find people to say nice things about them. I agree to a certain extent. For agency work, references are only professional references and they're only direct supervisors. That's really what is accepted. I think maybe some agencies will allow for a personal reference or somebody who is at the same level as you. But my experience is that the agencies I've worked with, especially the ones who I've been a hiring manager for, a recruiter for, they check references. And they want to, you know, sometimes it's just to check to verify that you put the right dates of employment on your resume. So you need to check that. (laughs) But sometimes it's really to dig into the stuff you're talking about, which is, you know, is this person supervisable? What's their clinical style? What's their work style? Are they going to do the things that you ask them to do? What are they going to struggle with? And I think that's, it does help set you up for success, but you really have to be thoughtful because there's going to be some people who don't check your references. And then there's going to be some people who will. And so you you want to make sure that the person that you put down is going to be able to speak positively about your work and give a good reference. Because I've had people give bad references. So, I mean, partly that's, you know, maybe not having those conversations or not thinking it through. But the best references I get are the ones that are accurate to personality and work style that seem pretty balanced, that those feel stronger to me. But sometimes people do check references. So don't put references available on request. That's a waste of space and just shows a willingness to do what you're going to be asked to do anyway. But be thoughtful about your references for sure. And I've been a reference to a number of people that I've supervised before or taught before. And as a reference, I really appreciate when you let me know that you're applying for new jobs. Because if this is six or eight years since the last time that I conversed with you... I'd 
like, first of all, just an update about how things yeah. are going, but also to be prepared that you're going, that you're back in the interview process, that you're, that I'm going to be receiving these phone calls from people checking references. Yes. I think that's critical because some of the places who do check references, if your reference doesn't call back, you get kind of moved down the line and you don't get hired until those references are go through. So warning them so they'll actually respond to a call is important. And I think it's also checking in to see if they're still willing to give a reference or if they're willing in the first place to give a reference. I know that there's folks who've asked me to be a reference and it was something where I really wasn't a direct supervisor or I, you know, there was conflict there and I didn't agree to be a reference. I, I think it's important to make sure that the person is willing to give you a reference and that you really have a clear sense of what they thought of your performance. So you know that whether or not they're going to give you a good reference, because that's, <laughs> that's so important. If you have somebody that either doesn't call back or that gives a negative reference, both of those things are black marks when people are making hiring decisions. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So when people do go to these job fairs, what kind of tips do you have for how they should present themselves and how they should talk with potential employers? So the job fair is interesting because I don't know, I'd have to really, I don't know if there's stats out there, but I'd have to look. I don't know how many people actually get jobs from job fairs. I feel like it's more that people become familiar with each other and then you have an opportunity to apply. The thing that you don't want to do at a job fair is drop off your resume and call that good. If you've given a resume to somebody, if they have an opening, make sure you know who to contact so that you can apply again. You can say, I met so-and-so at a job fair. I gave them my resume, but I wanted to do it a formal application so that you can make sure that you actually get there. Because if there's hundreds of applicants and job seekers and they're taking tons of resumes, who knows what happens, you know? <laughs> so you want to make sure that you present yourself well. You want to dress as though you were going to an interview, so appropriate business attire. You want to have a clean resume with you so that you can have those conversations in case they are really in a place to make some hiring decisions or at least decisions on who they want to call in for interviews. But don't count on that to be the thing that gets you the job because it probably won't. So what kind of jobs should people be putting on their resume? How do we prepare that resume to look good for when we drop it off? That's a good question. I think it depends on the types of job you're looking for. So, you know, if you're looking for a private practice job, potentially you're going to want to get some business experience, marketing experience, some sort of outreach so that the potential employer will know that you have some of the skills to help grow their business. If this is possible, you can tell me if that lines up for you. But I think also if there's any clinical experience or volunteer experience that's been with clients, that can also feel good if your brand's banking new. So would you say that that's what you're looking for as far as other types of jobs for a brand new clinician, Kurt? Typically, I operate more outside of what their experience is. It's more of what you were speaking about earlier of how they can craft that experience to work in the type of setting that I have in my private practice. So it helps if you've got mental health experience by the time that you're applying to work for me, then you've at least got mm -hmm. some. But own what your other experience is, like Kitty was talking about earlier, in a way that allows you to put that into use in 
in your practice. For sure. And I think for community mental health jobs, it's actually pretty different, the types of, of experience that might be relevant. It really is a job. Community mental health, it's a job. It You are an employee. And that's the same thing in private practice, but private practice is usually a looser schedule. Community mental health is pretty much a nine to five or a 10 to six or, you know, whatever. It's it's a job. It's kind of almost a clock in, clock out kind of job. And so being able to put experience that shows that you're a good employee is important. And I kind of mentioned that earlier. And being able to use similar language. So customer service becomes client care, you know, like using language that translates more to the clinical world. But when you're in grad school, if you're able to do other jobs in community mental health, there's a lot of bachelor's level jobs like case management. There's jobs that you can have a little bit more experience like behavior specialists or you know therapeutic behavioral specialists. There's a lot of types of jobs that you can start to really get used to the county paperwork, that you can get used to the productivity. You can see if that's a, a setting that you want to be in. That in your resume, when that stuff shows up there, whether it's before grad school, during grad school, depending on your your ability to to you know do those jobs, can be very very helpful. I know that was hugely helpful for me. I had already worked in community mental health for several years before I sought my first therapist job in community mental health, so it, it was a no brainer. I knew the paperwork, I knew the population, I you know as far as the population of folks who seek out those services, and so it was something where. It was very easy. And when I was in public mental health, I would look for those types of folks, the people who had had some sort of experience in a department of mental health contracted agency or, or directly operated agency, because I knew they knew what they were getting in for. If you don't think they're going to know what they're getting into, it can be a harder pyre. In kind of summary of all of this, it's do your homework. It's be professional. It's follow through. These are things that really apply to a lot of fields, and it's just crafting some of that experience directly towards the type of job that mm-hmm. you want. And one of the things about our field that there is a fair amount of opportunities to is volunteer work that can give you some of that experience, even if it's not directly into the paperwork and that kind of stuff that Katie's talking about. But one of my first jobs when I was in grad school was just working as a respite worker with kids Mm -hmm. on the autism spectrum. It had nothing to do with clinical stuff, and it was kind of a glorified babysitting (laughs) job. But it gave me experience working with kids and families of autism. So a few years later, when I was applying for a job as a behavior specialist in an autism agency, I had tangible experience of working with the population already. Yes, and I think that's a really important point is that if you have those types of experiences, paid or volunteer, you want to highlight them. I've had some folks who brought me resumes and they're like, hey, I don't know why I'm not getting any jobs. And they really get very strict on what they think is relevant to clinical work. And so volunteer work, and sometimes people even put their like practicum or, or during grad school training site, they would put those in the volunteer experience because it was not paid. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not talking paid experience, volunteer experience. That's not how you divide your resume. It's relevant experience and other experience. And so volunteer work where you're working with people, and especially people who have some sort of special needs or some sort of challenge that they're facing, that is very relevant work. And certainly if it was, you know, like one hour, one time, okay, you might put that in volunteer work. But if you, if you were doing significant volunteering, you know, several hours a week, 
put that in relevant experience. You don't have to claim it as some full-time job, but use that space to describe it so that people can really get a sense of what you've done. Because I think too many people will put experience that's so related to the job that they're looking for on the second page hidden in the back and they don't get job. And another thing that I've seen is people work in social services and other types of positions, you know, a, a social worker, a preclinical social worker, a social services worker of some sort. And it's like, well, that's not relevant. It's like, oh, no, it's a hugely <laughs> relevant because oftentimes those are the folks who you're interacting with. Those are the types of resources that it's important to know about. So anything that has to do with working with people, especially people who have special needs or or special challenges, that is something that you want to have front and center in your relevant experience section. So choose those things. And it can be very tempting to say like, hey, I was an accountant forever and I want to switch and be a therapist. Let me just do some accounting work on the side. And I'm not saying that that's not the best choice for you financially. So you have to make that decision. But if you're able to get a job in a field that is related to social services, client care of some sort, human relationships, if you're able to get a job that has that, then it starts to set up a resume that shows that you're really ready to work and help people. So if you want to keep this conversation going, come check out our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Survival Guide group. And we continue our conversations there in some of the discussion threads. You can also leave us feedback on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. While you're on our website, you can check out our live events that we have coming up. And we do trainings from very practical to the marketing end of laws and ethics, all the way up to our very exciting Therapy Reimagined conference. Uh, And that's going to be in October of 2018 in the Los Angeles area. And until next time, I'm Kurt Withelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.